Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the 2020 Mindset Leadership Conference. I'm your host, Riley Jensen, and today I'm super excited to introduce to you a, a person who I played against all the way through college, who I've known for a long time. He's, he's coached at the highest levels, um, uh, coached with Urban Meyer at the University of Utah. He has coached with Kyle Whittingham at the University of Utah, and he's now the head coach of the Weaver State University football program. My friend and uh, someone who I have a lot of respect for, Coach Jay Hill. Jay, thank you so much for, for spending a little bit of time with us. Absolutely. Excited to do it. Yeah, so one of the things that um, I did not know about you, and you and I played against each other. You played at Ricks College, and then you played at the University of Utah. I played at Snow College and Utah State at the exact same time, so I think I think you and I, for sure, I know we for sure played in two games against each other. We might have played in more. But the one thing that I didn't know about you until I got to Weaver State is that you had graduated in sports psychology. You, you'd gotten a master's degree in sports psychology. I did, yeah. Um, I was working on a couple different degrees at Utah while I was a GA, and it just seemed like none of them were working out. So I flipped over my last year and a half or so as a graduate assistant and got the sports psychology degree and it's one of the best things I ever did for my football coaching career because I use it every day. Yeah. I, you know, one of the first meetings that I, that I came into, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this guy, this guy is literally going through self-efficacy and, <laughs> and like you went through the whole concept of autonomy. You gotta, you gotta want to be here. You talked about competence. You gotta feel like you can do it and about team. And I was like, man, this is just like right out of one of the textbooks, man. It was beautiful. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had some awesome classes at the University of Utah on leadership, on um, motivation theory, some awesome ones on just the sociology of sport, uh, where, the, where sports have come from, and where, where at that point they thought they were heading. And like I say, I use it every day between relaxation and focus and things that I've heard you talk about where you know quite frankly stress and and anxiety and all that stuff is a part of it yeah but I think so much of that stuff's blown out of proportion especially in today's world but we get an opportunity to use that stuff daily yeah yeah and I you know I tell people and I, I think one of the things that I miss about playing college football and I and and what you probably still get a little bit as a coach is that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of nervousness, I mean, and I'm not talking about COVID-19 situation, but I'm talking about like big time college football, like, you know, lots of people in the stands cheering. Like, I've never felt more alive than those moments. Oh, like, yeah. You're They're, alive. You, like, you feel it. It's awesome. Well, and that's why I started coaching is way back in 2000 when I got released from the NFL – and I needed a way to pay for my graduate school and hadn't made enough money and yada, yada, yada. I decided to be a graduate assistant. Well, when I ran out on the field the first time as a graduate assistant coach, it was the closest thing to playing I'd felt. Just the, the nerves, the excitement, wondering if you're prepared, all those things um, got me excited again. And, and uh, I, I've learned over the years, kind of like you've preached before, that you can call it anxiety or you can call it excitement or nervousness, but I'd rather call it excitement. And that's what the game does to me still. It gets me excited and, and I love it. 
Yeah, I think, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to bring up so many, like, examples. One of the things, too, is I was observing your program, and we all observe it from 30,000 feet, right? But as I, as I came into your program and I was able to watch, there's, 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 there's a, a really good balance on your teams of, of having fun at practice, but also getting after it when you need to get after it. Like, it wasn't so heavy at your practice sessions that it was like, Huh, I don't even want to be here. It felt like the guys were having fun. They're hustling around. How do you, how do you cultivate that kind of culture? How do you build that kind of balance? Because I think that's unique. I don't think that's easy. Well, I think you were, you probably remember this when you were at Snow College. But when I went to Rick's College and the the play was elevated, that was exciting to me. Everybody was a little bit better. Everybody's a little bit bigger and stronger, and the coaching. Uh, detail took off for me. It was just so much fun. And then you get to the University of Utah and everybody starts talking about added stress and now there's more fans and whatever it was. Well, it just, there were times it just wasn't as fun. And I don't want to prod cattle. I don't want to be out there just having to beat these guys into submission every day. That That's no fun for the coach. So we do little things to keep it upbeat and exciting. We don't let practices drag on. The players know what to expect. And I want it to be fun. If it's not fun, what the heck are we doing? Yeah, yeah. When you, when you look back, and, and, and I know, you know, you're, you're, you're good friends with another friend of mine by the name of Cole Cooper, and you had a bunch of guys that have been really successful. You have a, a, a friendship from your high school group but I think you guys were all like pretty hard nosed, like blue collar kids that like, you know, had a lot of fun, played really hard and worked really hard. Do you think, do you think there was some mental toughness that was fostered there growing up with a, with a group of friends or in a community that was, was, was that way? I mean, Lehigh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Lehigh yeah. was a small town when I was there and it was my sophomore year that we moved from two A to three A football and uh lehigh at the time was just some podunk cowboy town quite frankly and um we didn't even have a street light in lehigh when i was going through school there it was just it was small uh but i had five unbelievable friends and we hung out and we played dunk ball at the at the local elementary on an eight and a half foot rim and we played football and like two on twos uh, every day in the summer we were doing something and when girls would come around I and mean, we had girlfriends and stuff like that but when they would come around i mean nothing took priority over us playing and getting better and lifting weights and doing those things so a couple things happened priorities uh, we learned how to prioritize things we learned how to stick together we learned teamwork mental toughness and quite frankly when it came to crunch time on the football field uh, we were united. We we trusted each other then, and we still trust each other because of the bonds that we formed through those years of hard work and sweating together and grinding together. We we still are tight. Yeah, I, I can see that, and that you know, it's it's kind of fun to see that little group of you guys just like you're tight, and you're all really successful in your own little spheres, and and still doing amazing things, even even clear back, you know through 1990 or whenever it was that you, you guys moved up yeah. to the 3A yeah. football. Would you, would you, when you think about what mental toughness is, and I'm not talking about, you know, our degree or about out of the dictionary, like what, what do you think mental toughness is? What, 
What is it? Well, to me, mental toughness is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. Because, I mean, there's times where in the morning I wake up and think, man, I'd rather go golf 18 holes than go to work today. But to be mentally tough, i got to go to work and get things done. And when we step out on the football field, there's times where I'd rather just call up, practice, and end two reps early. But you got to get the stuff done. And um, so that's how I define it is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, there's a there's a little bit of of commitment in there though. So oh yeah, the commitment shows up when when you don't feel like it. Well, you have to be committed to mental toughness um, because there's a lot of guys that act tough, um, and they'll probably fight you out on the streets. But when it comes to grinding and getting grades that you're supposed to get, or being at practice on time, or you know, being prepared the next day and having watched your film the night before because coach asked you to watch an hour and a half of film and did you do it or not? I mean, that, that comes down again to, did you do what you were supposed to do when you were supposed to do it? And, and again, is that commitment? Absolutely. And some guys are more committed to mental toughness than others are. You've been, um, you've been in a lot of cool places. You've been in a lot of cool situations, coach with a lot of really good coaches. Do you, Number one, do you feel like your definition of mental toughness has changed over the years? And then how important has mental toughness been after your playing days as a coach? Well, I think it's evolved a little bit. If anything, my definition of mental toughness has simplified. Um, okay. Like I say, back before, I would say mental toughness is, are you willing to run your gassers or are you, are you willing to work hard or are you willing to do certain little things? And now it's just been simplified and just do what the heck you're supposed to do. Um, I've been around a lot of great coaches that have taught different aspects of mental toughness in different ways. Uh, like Urban Meyer, he used to teach mental toughness. We'd start our practice with 2020s at the start of practice and he would, he'd get them dog tired. And then he would, he would, put into practice what I'm saying is are those guys really willing to do what they're supposed to do at that time, even though they're dog tired. And then like coach Witt, he would take it a different way. He was so disciplined and structured and detailed is can you really be that way all the way through the week? Because the preparation was the most important part. If you did it all through the week, you were probably going to play good on Saturday. So those guys defined it a different way maybe but we all got we all try to get to the same thing come game day right right and and then the second part of that question how how important has mental toughness been to you as you've been going I mean when you're at the University of Utah I mean you were DB's coach you were special teams coordinator I mean you you did a lot of different things you wore a lot of different hats at the University of Utah and then you took the job at, at Weaver State and talk about the mindset of a coach and the, and the mental toughness of a coach? Well, you have to have it. I, I remember when I was a young graduate assistant, I remember coming into work after practice on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and I'd be so tired come 1030 at night that I could barely keep my eyes open. And by, by Wednesday night, we were, we were already 50 hours into the week and just grinding and, learning how to work hard and to be tough and mentally stay focused. Those were things that got better the longer I coached. And then, 
you know, we went through some ups and downs. I went through an unbelievable coach with Coach McBride. And, and then I went through the ups and downs of transitioning to Urban Meyer and then transitioning again to Coach Whittingham. And each guy was a little different, but it took some mental toughness to stick with it and to continue to grind. And quite frankly, I didn't know enough back then. And to have the toughness to just continue to get better each year that was such a critical part that Coach Witt harped on is just find a way to get better every year, even as a coach. And when I came to Weber State, I probably faced the most adversity that I had ever faced as a player or a coach that first year when all of a sudden you take over a program and you think you're going to be a one-year wonder and you're going to turn the world upside down and everyone's going to love you. And before you know it, you look, you look in the mirror and you're 0-9. We were 0-9 when we started at Weber State. And there were times where you, you think, what in the heck did I just do? Did I, did I commit career suicide? Did I make the right decision? And then the only thing you can do is wake up the next day, put your big boy pants on and go to work and just grind it out. And that's what we did. That's what the players started doing. The coaches were doing it. And uh, it, it flipped completely. It flipped completely. And now over the last four years, we're probably one of the top three most successful teams in the country at our level. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard coaches say this and I, and I always get a little chuckle cause I, I get what they're saying. Cause when things aren't going right, that's oh and nine is hard. And I've, I, you know, uh, you know, I've had a couple coaches tell me, Hey man, don't, don't tell me you love coaching until you've been through an zero and 10 season in high school, or you've started mm-hmm. out the season zero and nine in college because you don't know, you don't, you don't know if you love it. And then come talk to me about it because once you've been through that, then I can then I can trust you that you really that you're really willing to put kind of like you said, put your big boy pants on and get back. Well, to the I, art. I one thing Norm Chow taught me, and, and I loved those years at Utah because like Norm Chow came in for a while, and Dennis Erickson was there, and Coach Witt was there, and Andy Ludwig, and we had some unbelievable coaches go through there, but. One thing Norm Chow said is, if you got a coach, you you want to work him twenty a young coach, work him twenty hours a week and pay him twenty thousand a year and see if he really loves coaching. And if he can do that for three or four years and prove to you that he loves coaching, you probably got someone. But that's the reality: is most people aren't willing to do that, and they're not willing to grind and learn and do the things that it takes to be mentally tough enough to handle what college football will give them. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, what do you think, when you look back at your career, whether playing or coaching, what do you think is your biggest failure so far and what did you learn from it? How did it make you a better coach and person? Mm, that, that's a tough one. My biggest failure I think uh, I would say early on in my career, when I was still young, I tried to be like the players and I tried to be maybe too buddy-buddy with them or I tried to help them too much. And quite frankly, coaching's about teaching these guys how to grow up. And to do that, they have to be able to make some mistakes along the way and they have to take the repercussions of making bad decisions and they also have to receive the rewards of making good decisions. And so giving them a little bit more freedom, I would say, is one of the things I learned from that. So I guess my the mistake would be not giving them enough freedom to really grow and develop and learn how to be successful. 
So do you feel like sometimes if you're trying to do too much for them or you're trying to kind of like make sure they don't make those mistakes that that enables them a little bit and then all of a sudden they can't really grow to where they're supposed to be? Am I hearing that? Well, we see it in the youth today, right? We, we People talk all the time about helicopter parents or people that coddle their kids so much that they can't make mistakes. And I, I promise you, I'm guilty of that with my own kids is you try so hard to protect them that they don't get to grow. And we do that as coaches sometimes. You, you try so flipping hard to protect them or make sure they're eligible or the little things that before you know it, they haven't grown the way they were supposed to have grown. And um, that, that was some of the transition. You know, when Coach McBride was at Utah, he used to give us a little bit more freedom. And then we really cinched things down tight. Nobody became ineligible and nobody did this. But quite frankly, I don't think some people were able to, you know, spread their wings and grow maybe the way they should have by making some mistakes that they would have made along the way. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, when you when you, when you think about back to maybe those group of peers in high school or maybe even some of your college teammates, if they were to fill in this blank, what would they say? Jay will be successful because he blank. <laughs> um, works harder than everybody. I, I just that that's who I was. I mean, I would condition harder than everyone, and if I if I had to stick after practice for an hour as a player, I would, and. If I had to stay in the office till midnight because I wasn't quite prepared for the next day's practice or that game, I would do whatever it took. I was willing to put forth the work. I like that. I'm sure they would say that. I, I see it in you now. There's just like this resolute, willing to put in the work, willing to do what it takes to win. What I see around the halls, when I see your team, I, I think that's probably true. Do you? you I'm heard, not the most talented guy. I will wasn't as a player and quite frankly there's a lot of coaches that are smarter than me so but but I I really believe you can outwork everybody and if if you're not smart now maybe you can be smart in two years but you better put forth the work to do it have you been watching um the last dance at all Michael Drew so don't tell me about the number 10 I, I watched number nine last night uh, I had not been watching it till about a week ago, and I caught up. I binge-watched this week, so I did one through nine in a week. Um, everyone was telling me about it. I loved Jordan. I grew up idolizing the guy, and it's everything I hoped it would be. Yeah, I was – sorry, let me – I don't know what's nope. on my phone here. Um, so what I was going to ask you, and I'm not going to give anything away – is there anything that really sticks out to you or that has stuck out to you as far as mental toughness or about his way of going about things that resonates with you and your program or your own story? Well, sometimes, it, and they mentioned it, Scottie Pippen was a different kind of leader than, than Jordan was. And, you know, sometimes you got to be mentally tough to be hard on other people. And I was that way. I tried to be that way as a player where you'd push others by example first, but every once in a while, you got to get, you got to get after a teammate. And the easy thing is to turn your back and say, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want there to be any friction. Well, that's easy. Sometimes there needs to be some friction there and you got to get after someone and say, Hey, you know what? This team needs you pick your crap up and let's go. And a good leader is willing to 
confront the situation. And I think Jordan might have been hard on those guys, but if you listen to Will Perdue and you listen to to B.J. Armstrong and those guys talk about Jordan, I guarantee every one of those guys said, would say, I loved that guy as a teammate. And I had a teammate like that. Steve Smith was hard to be around. He would talk trash, and he was so competitive, and every day was an absolute fight with him. Fist fight, fight during the play, whatever it was, you would fight. I know one thing, I loved him as a teammate because every day he came to work, and every day if you weren't doing what you were supposed to do, he was after you. Yeah, yeah. I think I, the thing that really stuck out or stuck out to me is when, when, I was, when I was watching him and he was talking about, you know, if, if you didn't want to do that, if you don't, then, then don't. You, don't. you don't have to be here. And he, he almost got teared up and he, like, called a timeout. He's like, yeah. okay, let's go to break. There was something that really resonated with me about that. And I know that everybody that was watching it on the outside is like, oh, this guy was just relentless. But I didn't feel like that. I felt like, Man, if I had a dollar, if if I if I had a dollar for every teammate that didn't work as hard as him that tried to get on me, and I was like, "Hey, get the freak out of here, dude! Yeah. You, know, you don't do what you're supposed to do. Once you shut your mouth, you know you think you can, you know I would I would go back at people. But the cool thing about Michael Jordan to me was is he, he like he said he never asked anybody to do anything that he wasn't doing himself, and that to me was the greatness of him is that he was doing all those things and he just wanted you to do the same things he was doing to get to where he was going. And I, there was something that really resonated with me about that. Cause there's other teammates where they're getting after you and you're like, dude, you don't even do what you're supposed to do in the classroom. Yeah. You haven't made a play yet this year. And now you're going to come in here and you, you, you think you're going to tell people what to do. I was like, that was tame. Like I, I would have taken it from any teammate that was like Michael Jordan. Right. Well, like, so, so I, I tell our players this. There's, there's two types of leaders in, in college football. There's, there's the one that makes plays. You, you just go out there and ball out on game day, and people will follow you. It, you could be a not great person or whatever, and as long as you're making enough plays, people will follow you. And then there's the guys on your football team that do everything right. They go to class. They get great grades. They're the hardest work in the weight room. And they step out on the field, and quite frankly, those guys can talk too because – People know that they do everything right. All, everything the coaches ask them to do, those guys are doing it. But the best leaders are the ones that do both. If you do everything right during the week, you go to class, you get good grades, you work hard, you bust your butt in the weight room, and then on game day you go out and make plays, those are by far your best leaders because they can pull in every guy. They can pull in the other position groups. They can pull in any race. It crosses all boundaries, social whatever it is, uh, racial, it, it pulls those guys in. As long as you're doing everything right and you're making plays, you can lead. And Michael Jordan was one of those guys. He did things right, practiced hard, was disciplined, and then on game day obviously was the best. How rare is it? How rare, rare would you say that? The combination of both is rare, is it not? It's rare. And, and really, I would say on a given team, you might have 10 guys that fit both groups well. You know, you got some guys that do – you know, you probably got 20 or 30 guys that can do it okay, but you got 10 guys that do everything right and they make tons of plays. Uh, if you have 10 on a team, you're pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah. It's hard, it's hard to get it. It's hard to get it. And, and you know, uh, and you know um, Morgan Scally, he, he talks about, 
the same thing. And he said he stole it from Urban Meyer, but he talks about gamers, orange eaters, and uh, <laughs> yep. the other one, right? But yeah. but it's true that that uh, I love that whole deal where there's just so few guys that are willing to do everything that it takes. And, well, and Mor- Morgan was yeah. one of those guys. He he was a baller on game day and did everything right, and that's why he's in the position where he's at. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, Vince Lombardi said it like. Uh, hard work, perseverance, all that stuff. It doesn't matter. As long as you're committed to excellence, you're going to be successful. And that's kind of what we're talking about is it doesn't matter what you do, football, basketball, just business in general, as long as you're committed to excellence and you're willing to do everything right, um, you'll make plays and be successful. Yeah. Yeah. What, what books do you read as a coach? What do you, what, what do you, what interests you? What do you, or do you not do that? I do. You know, I didn't read enough when I was young as a coach. I really didn't. But I would see Kyle reading all the time. I'd see Urban reading all the time. And uh, quite frankly, I started reading a lot more when I became a head coach. And I wish I would have done it more as an assistant. But um, I love books on leadership. I, I mean, I gobble up all the stuff I can find on leadership. I like things about uh Learning how to motivate people is a still a big one to me. Um, one of my favorite books I've ever read, and this is really what started my reading, is Coach Witt in 2008 challenged the whole coaching staff to read Leadership and Self-Deception. That book kind of flipped. That, that was one of my favorite books still to this day. is one of my favorite books. And um, Leadership Fitness by Homer Rice has been one of my favorite books. Uh, I've, I've read the book on Urban Meyer, you know, Above the Line. That's a good one. Yeah. The Pete Carroll book is a great one. Um, I'm just looking, I can look up uh, just my thing. Good to great has one been one of my favorites. Uh, Win forever. I told you about the Pete Carroll one. Uh, High performance habits is a big one. Um, I like that. I like that. Uh, leadership and self-deception. I just read that in February and I like working with athletes and leaders, I, I've given that book to so many people right now. Like that book was super impactful, especially cause I've got a young, a young, young child at home. Right. <laughs> and there's that whole scene where he's talking about his wife and how he's like, why is she not waking up and taking care of the baby? And he's already deceived himself. And like, there's just so much to the fact that we have really, really good intentions. And as soon as we don't do what we think we should do or we, what we ought to do, we, we start making excuses and start blaming it on other people. And that, that book has been a real eye opener for me, even at 46 years old, like oh, yeah. trying, trying to grow and progress. Right. And become the, the measure of the person that I want to be. I I've really enjoyed that book. Like I said, that's probably the most impactful one for me because I mean, everyone does it. Everyone makes excuses, but in, until you take the example you just said and who hasn't, as a father, sat there and said, oh, crap, that's the baby. I hope my wife wakes up and just act like you're sleeping. I mean, who, yeah. has, who hasn't done that? But the second you do that, you deceive yourself. And then you start down a slippery slope that's ugly. And if you're doing that in football, then you start blaming your players for flip. They can't make a player. You start blaming your offensive coordinator. Oh, his play calling is not very good. As, as soon as you start that down that path, that's a slippery slope that leads to probably getting fired in our profession. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a slippery slope. That book, man, I, I it's it, that's a great book. Yep. Um if you 
if you could break down a couple of coaches or one coach that you find yourself stealing their phrases or uh, like repeating their phrases, who is it? And, and who had the most influence on you as a coach? Well, as far as quotes and phrases, I quote Vince Lombardi and John Wooden more than anybody. Um, probably two of the most successful coaches ever. Those are the ones I quote the most. Those are the ones that have the things I most believe in. Um, quotes I use all the time. As far as who I pattern my coaching after, I would say it's probably a mix of four main guys. Coach, Coach uh, McBride, Coach Whittingham, Urban Meyer, Gary Anderson. Um, those guys are phenomenal coaches. They get it. They all have huge strong points in the profession, and, and I've tried to somehow, some way, take the best of all those guys. Um, if I had to choose just one, obviously I was around Coach Witt the longest, and he was probably the most, very most impactful on me. And just, uh, just I was just around him so long. He's like a brother, a father, a, a friend, just everything about it. He taught me how to be successful in his profession. Yeah. What advice would you give to yourself 15 years ago? If you had to go back and talk to Jay 15 years ago, what would you say? Uh, two things. It's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. Uh, you want to motivate someone, then you better care about them. And if you want to recruit someone and land a recruit, you better care about them. It's all about relationships. And, and then with that, I would just say, learn as much as you can. Cause I thought I knew a lot. I didn't know a flipping thing. When I was a player, I didn't know so much of the game and just being humble enough to learn and keep learning. I wish I had, I had to grind it a little harder those first couple of years. I, I'd have probably made my curve a little steeper. Right. Right. Um, as far as, oh shoot, I just spaced the question. Um, I got, I got, I got two more questions. One is COVID-19 there's so much fear of the unknown. There's a lot of, there, there are some bad things that are happening and it's difficult. What, what would be your advice to the people out there that are struggling, that are going through job loss, 401k loss, business loss, sickness, illness? What would you say? Well, my heart goes out to those people's the first and foremost. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm sorry is the right word, but just hang in there. Uh, keep fighting, keep grinding. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I promise you, whether you have to change jobs or go back to your old job or overcome some debt that's occurred, if you just keep grinding, um, that's going to be the critical part. Those who give up and just throw their hands up in the air and say, this sucks. I, I just got screwed in this deal. You just don't pull out of it as fast. Uh, so that would be the first bit of advice. And then the other thing I would say, and this is critical in all things, surround yourself with great people. You are a reflection of the five people you hang out with the most. So if you got something negative happening in life, go find the five most positive people you can hang out with those guys because they'll probably help pull you through it. Yeah. yeah I love that. So I remember, I remember the question that I forgot now. So this is a fun, this is a, this is a fun question for me. When I, when I talk to guys like you, 
or I talk to Morgan, or if I'm talking to Gary Anderson, or if I'm talking to any coach around the country, I could sit there and I could talk to you, Jay, and I'd be like, okay, so I'm going to motion or I'm going to shift the tight end trips and I'm going to run this. What's going to be your reaction? And I know that you've got the X's and O's and you're going to come back to me and you're going to say, well, I mean, that's all great and dandy if you want to release all five receivers, but you better make sure that we don't get home. And, and we'd have a real blast on just going back and forth on the chess game. But I really feel like when you, when you start looking at guys like Kyle Whittingham, when you look at, you know, Gary Anderson, what he's done up at Utah State for that program. When you look at even Bronco Mendenhall, who maybe you don't love the way he does things, but they – and I'm not talking about you personally, but just who, whoever's, like, talking about it. What they've done is they've established culture to me. I, I feel like every coach in the country I could sit down and have a blast talking to them about X's and O's. But the great coaches, and I think this is what you're doing at Weaver State, and I see it with Bronco and I see it with Kyle – is they establish culture, right? And they're able to, like, really set expectations for players. How do you do that, and how do you learn that, and, how, and, and why does that set these guys apart as consistent winners on the college level? Well, it, if it's just about the X's and O's, the players won't trust you. If they think the only reason you step out on the field is to get your paycheck or to, to – you know, enhance yourself, you're, you've already lost. So the, the players got to know that you've got their best interests at hand and that you want what's best for them. And the only way I believe you can do that is to establish a culture of success. And that's letting the players know that you care more about them as a person and that you're going to hold them accountable to get good grades and you're going to call their parents if they need it, or you're going to do what's necessary to get these kids to be successful because in the end, that's what really shows them that you care. And if you've got a culture where you're out there just flying by the seat of your pants and you're not prepared or you're not willing to call them out when they're doing things wrong, or you just let things slip because it's hard to confront issues sometimes, then the players see right through that and they will walk all over you. If you create a culture of hard work, toughness, discipline, and that they know you care about them, you're going to get the most out of them on game day. And that's what we've tried to do. And that's what I watched Urban do. Urban was a master at creating a culture of belief, of hard work, of getting people to think they were doing things right. Um, he was a master at that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Coach, I don't, I don't have much more. I think this has been a fantastic interview. I, I really appreciate you talking about the mental game. I think, I think it's important that, that, that people understand that there's a, a grit and a resilience and a tenacity to some of the coaches that we're interviewing on here. And I think that you re represent all those things. I remember, and I remember studying you when I was, when I was playing quarterback at Utah State and watching film and excuse me, quarterback at Snow, and I got you in that game, and then I played against you at the University of Utah, you guys got me, and, and uh, I just remember always having to be aware of where you were at, because you were not only, I, and I know that you love to tell people you were, an, you're, you know, you were an overachiever, but there was a whole bunch of athletic ability going on there, too, so it was, well, I, it was fun to play against you, and it's fun to hear about your mentality. Well, you don't know this. I don't even know if I've ever told you this. The first time I ever saw you, we were in a summer 
basketball camp and I was a junior and you were maybe the best player in the state. And I just remember, man, that guy is a baller. And then I found out you were the starting quarterback. And then I finally got to play against you at snow or when you were at snow and you guys were better than us that year. So uh, I've followed your career with admiration as well. So that's interesting. I, I did. I played a lot of basketball. I think basketball, if I would have been taller, it might've been one of my first loves. I love to compete in basketball. Oh yeah. I don't, know, I don't know where that camp was. Maybe it was college of Eastern Utah. We used to go down there a lot, but yeah, um, those were, those were fun days back in the day. Just like you said, I had a lot of friends. We were doing the same thing, playing dunk ball on an eight and a half foot rim and there might've been some of those guys that had girlfriends, but we were, we were getting our lift in and we were getting everything in before we ever went and did any of that. Yep. So cool. Well, I appreciate yeah. you coach. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll let you get back to your family and enjoying some of this extra time that you have with family right now. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks my man. All right. All right.